This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about crunch chocolate bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Mm. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the fun with crunch. Hello, a warm welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and top TV critic Rihanna Dillon. This is where we handpick the very best stuff to watch on your screens. We'll do terrestrial, we'll do screaming. <laughs> we will do screaming. We'll do terrestrial screening and screaming. And this week we've got a documentary for you, a comedy and a couple of dramas that I think you're going to enjoy. What is the lineup, Rihanna? We've got a bit of everything, haven't we? We've got Dear Rider, we've got the new BBC drama Chloe. Also, this is going to hurt it's which you'll know because of adam k who wrote it and also the curse from channel four yes which is a comedy um and of course the winter olympics 2022 start in beijing in just two days time i always think oh i'm not that interested and then about 10 hours in i'm completely absorbed <laughs> by the winter olympics and i'm sure it'll happen again we're going to hear from the sports editor of the radio Times, simon barnes about what to watch who to watch in this year's games. Here's a quick clip of Simon talking about the discipline of figure skating. It's a kind of strange hybrid between sport and art because you want to do, you want it to be beautiful. You want it to be purposely fully beautiful. But the jumps, unlike a ballet dancer, a skater can't control the jumps because you need to land, find an edge, and you're not going to do it 100 times out of 100. The... Uh, Great skaters, the gold medal winning skaters, are those that land the big jumps on the big occasions. When you jump for your life, they hit the edge and they do it. And also 
they look fabulous in between. It's looking fabulous in between that I would struggle with. <laughs> um, never mind the landing the jumps. That is the Radio Times sports wordsmith, Simon Barnes. He does talk beautifully about the appeal of figure skating and much more besides in that interview, which you'll hear a little bit later. How's your week been? It's been lovely, thank you. Went to the BFI last night because Ooh, to see. my partner Mike was doing an introduction to a horror film, as is his want, his favourite thing. Couple, he, he, he is so into horror. And uh, so he did an introduction to a film called My Little Eye, um, which is sort of kind of loosely based on like the big brother kind of era about having cameras in a house and it sort of then turns into some sort of like snuff film quite dark it's from like 2001 it's <laughs> It's a really mean-spirited film, but it is it is a really fun watch. So he introduced this, and then we went and got drunk at the BFI bar. It was really nice. It was kind of buzzy and great to be in London. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Meanwhile, I'm still agonising over what kind of knobs to put on my <laughs> newly painted kitchen drawers. So that gives you some insight just into the difference between our lives. Um, I guess it is. It's a generational thing. Let's move on um, to our reviews of the week, and we're going to start with a drama on BBC One... Uh, it's called Chloe, and um, it's set in Bristol again. <laughs> I love how cross you are about well, it's this. It's cross. It's just that for years, Bristol escaped our attention, apart from my old favourite Trevor Eve, a shoestring <laughs> back in the day. We haven't heard a word from Bristol until about the last six months, and now they can't stop producing TV stuff set in Bristol. I know you're saying you're not cross. You sound cross about it. Yeah, I do. It. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've had so many shows set in London over the years. Bristol's having its moment. I'm OK with it because Chloe makes Bristol look so sweet and quaint. I feel like we do see an, yet another side of Bristol that I don't really know. I don't know the city. So my only insight into it is through these TV shows that I watch endlessly. It starts on BBC One on Sunday the 6th. 6th of February at nine o'clock and uh, as is relatively common these days it will be available as a box set after the first episode has gone out. Now my feeling is this is designed to appeal to younger people which is why they're doing the box set thing with this. Do you think oh, that's right? interesting. Yeah, maybe because I will always much rather watch something as and when as opposed to having to watch something each night each yeah. week. Okay. Um, tell us about the premise of the show. We'll get a clip in a minute. So Chloe is a girl who died by suicide and the last person that she calls is Becky. And we don't really know why, yeah. but Becky does miss the call. But somehow this sort of spurs her to infiltrate and go rooting about in Chloe's group of arty friends and her politician husband, all of which she knows about because of social media. It's not Instagram. It's like the faux version of Instagram. Um, but yeah, this is this is why she's suddenly able to know so much about all of these people because their lives are all over the internet. Hello? Hello, am I talking to Becky Green? Uh, yeah, speaking. This is Detective Constable Megan Rowland. I'm calling from South Avon Police. It's now a good time. Yeah, um, sorry. How can I help? Our records show you've received two missed calls on the 12th of April from a Chloe Fairborn, uh, one at 1.52 and one at 2.45am. Is it okay if I ask you a couple of questions regarding those calls? Hello, Miss Green? Uh, yeah. Do you have any idea why she might have tried to call you? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't have a number. I thought it was someone else. 
spooky music there, indicating that something is afoot. <laughs> it's a um, thriller, everybody. I, I bet from that audio, people won't be able to guess who's playing Becky Green. Yeah, this is this was such fun casting. Yeah. It's Erin Doherty, who you will know as Princess Anne in The Crown. I thought she was one of the standouts. She was! In what I thought was a pretty humdrum series of The Crown, if I'm honest. <laughs> Sorry, there you go. Um, I loved uh, Emerald Fennell as yes, Camilla. she was but great. I also really liked Erin. I, and also, because Erin Dotty isn't necessarily a household name, and actually none of the cast are, which feels really important for this, um, but especially in The Crown, it felt like she'd come out of nowhere, but you, you sort of assumed that was what she could do. That was all she could do. That was your initial impression. Was, I thought, basically, I suppose, if I'm honest, I thought she was somebody who was going to play posh. Yes, and she does not. In no. that. I mean, she, she well, does. she can. She can. Yeah. So that was, that's part of the joy of this, is that she is able to f- kind of try on all of these different personalities and voices. We hear her there in her Bristolian, with her natural Bristolian accent, which her and her mother have. And her mother has Alzheimer's, and so she's a kind of a carer for her, which adds a whole other bent to this yeah. story. and a slightly reluctant carer, although I always think we shouldn't judge because I've no idea how I might react in those circumstances. No, I actually interviewed Alice Seabright, who is the writer and director of, of this. this. Yeah, She talks about that relationship as being, she is waiting to just drop off the face of the earth because her mother is the only one left in her life who knows who she is. And as soon as she forgets, she will not have... She won't be anybody. Any, yeah, and it, that was really interesting as well. I mean, the fact that it's... It it's kind of very female fronted, but also behind the scenes as well. The production company um, is female led. So I think you get all of these different personalities of what it's like to be a woman on social media, which we're all sort of fascinated by and want to tap into sometimes, mm. but like to dip out when we can. And this shows so much of the horror of what happens when you do put your entire life on social media and the assumptions people will make about you based on that. I, I agree about that completely. I also felt a real sense of terror when Becky was trying to go into these worlds. Mm. I was sort of waiting for her to be found out. But she's very, very good at carrying herself in some quite challenging social situations, isn't she? She is, and she's funny with it because sparky she is. Yeah. I, th- you know, I thought this was this could easily have been quite dour because of the subject matter, but it isn't. Probably, I know I'm sounding like I'm just angry about Bristol always being. At the <laughs> I, it's not at all that, but it does. It, there were so many elements of this that reminded me of Show Trial, which we talked right, about yeah. relatively recently. Mm-hmm. And again, that was another drama, female-led, mm. essentially about one woman's story. And it does seem to me that there's. I mean, I'm glad. There's a lot more of that sort of stuff on the telly at the moment. Yeah, it feels like there is a more of an appetite for this. And I think going back to what we always talk about, murder mysteries and police procedurals. So that's what Show Trial had in spades. Um, this, although it is a, you know, the death of a young woman is at the heart of it, I think it is trying to do something a little bit different and it was really refreshing although we heard the police there in that clip classic we don't this is not about a police investigation this is about Becky's investigation because I've only seen the first episode yes I keep saying this if you're in a part of the country that just never gets to be the centre of a drama (laughs) contact us at podcast at radiotimes.com if you're in a part of the British Isles that simply never figures in television dramas. Anyway, you might you might well have a view on that. I think people will enjoy this. I, I do think the BBC is aiming squarely at a younger audience with shows like this, though. Yeah, trying. I mean, it is social media-based, so I think they're really trying to tap into that generation. So this starts um, on terrestrial telly on the 6th of February, BBC One, 9 o'clock, and then you can gobble up the whole thing oh, as I really a box did. set. Yes. And you did. 
Uh, as we approach the Winter Olympics, this felt like a good time to talk about a documentary um, about a sport that is absolutely massive, but about essentially the guy who started it all. It's called Dear Rider. It's available to download on all major outlets, including iTunes and Amazon. And here is a clip from the trailer. I should say this is about snowboarding. My earliest positive memories were definitely about snow, not having to go to school, sledding. So I started the company in 77. I remember I went out with 38 snowboards and I came home with 40 because one dealer said, I don't want this crap. He said his name was Jake and he made snowboards. I was like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> he had this spark. He was so damn determined. Once I just focused all of my energy and my love and my time into making it a sport, that's when everything sort of started to work. Who is this about? <laughs> well, I say that in all innocence. You could say ignorance, because I'm afraid I'd not heard of this guy. And which is, by the way, I understand that snowboarding is a massive, massive sport, but it was all new to me, this. Yeah, so Jake Burton is the man that they're all talking about. And he, he he essentially created the sport that we now know as snowboarding. And, it, you know, it did exist, of course, in various forms. Snowboards existed before he came along, but he tailored them and cr and was part of the beginning of the subculture of snowboarding. And what's, what's really sweet about this documentary is that it is an exploration into this man and his life. And it's all told by people who loved him and worked with him. You know, we hear his wife and that we see from his children because he's no longer with us. And I don't think that's a spoiler to say that. This is, you know, he was, he died and we, we see his death almost on screen. He didn't die in a snowboarding accident or anything, did he? We should no, make clear. No, he, he sort of went through quite a debilitating illness, which they outline, and then he didn't die... Of it. From that, he died from cancer in the end. So this is a man who has had many struggles in his life, but... Uh, Always, always his focus was snowboarding. And I think that's why he's such a hero in his community. But I think if you're not a member of that community, you don't know anything about snowboarding. It's weirdly quite difficult to get into this documentary or to to keep up that interest for the whole 90 minutes. I sort of, I do agree with you there. I've got to say, I, I mean, I've, I don't know anything about snowboarding whilst by the way, being insanely jealous of people who do it. Oh, my God. I mean, it looks incredible, oh, right? doesn't it just? <laughs> it's so and, and fun to watch. who are going to be competing in the Winter Olympics, I will watch that very happily because yes. I just think the, the raw physical courage involved. Oh but the beauty of it and the freedom they seem to feel whilst mm. they're doing it when it all goes well, how cool is that? It really is. The flips that they do, the number of turns they do upside down in the air is absolutely astonishing and it is really hypnotic. It's a great way to start the documentary, to pull you yeah. in, to look at what can be achieved and then to go back to the beginning. So it is it is a really interesting subject. Um, so what we're saying, I think, well, certainly what I'm saying about this is if snowboarding is your thing and you were a long-term admirer of Jake Burton, then this, I think, you'll absolutely love. You'll find it utterly absorbing. He was clearly a man who left a wonderful and positive impression on people who were close to him. I think we can say that. Yes, and, you know, it, it, it feels quite male-centric. I think it was a, a lot little, of male yeah. snowboarders, but it does f feel like they found a purpose as well. And, you know, the the achievements that they had in sports and the fact that this it kind of created what we now know being in the Winter Olympics, the fact that it came from him just 
trying to sell a snowboard. Yeah. It's a really inspiring it is, story. Because he was rejected and he fought back yeah. and he didn't give up and he showed real resilience and then he, he unfortunately suffered poor health. So there's no fairness here. No. Except he clearly left a very positive impression on lots of people. But yes. I think if you're not a mad winter sports buff, the 90 minutes might just drag Ever a teeny so tiny bit. Yes. Anyway, that's Dear Rider, available to download on all major outlets now, including iTunes and Amazon. Now, here's a real expert on the Winter Olympics. Live coverage runs across BBC One and BBC Two throughout the week, plus there are highlights on BBC Two and BBC Three. Simon Barnes is the Radio Times sports editor and he's here to mark our card for the forthcoming Beijing Olympics. I talked to him earlier this week and asked what Britain can expect of our competitors, including uh, the recent headline maker, Dave Riding. So, Simon, tell me about Dave. Isn't that the most extraordinary thing? He's... 35, and he said he'd spent a lifetime trying to be a British alpine skier. You know, it's not a good place to start from, is it? But he not only kept stuck at it, eventually he's won a World Cup medal. First uh, British skier to have done so in 55 years. And he said, I never stopped believing. Well, most of us with that kind of record will be atheists, but not him. So... Uh, <laughs> It'd be a wonderful thing if lightning were to strike twice and he could uh, uh, land a, a medal of any colour whatsoever or even just give us a good slide for our money at the Olympics. He is competing in the slalom, I think, isn't he? And it is. It's the one with the very tight turn, the, the wiggly, wiggly one. Lots of people are a bit sniffy about the Winter Olympics and perhaps I am until they start and then I find myself drawn in. So apart from keeping an eye on Dave, and he must have an outside chance of a medal in the slalom, who who else could we look out for? There's a, a good chance in in the mixed double curling. Isn't isn't that wonderful? I don't know if you were there when Rona Martin. It was 2002. Won in the gold medal in curling in uh, Salt Lake City, and people who had, including me, who didn't know the rules of curling or even the point of curling, still less that a fortnight previously, sat up till one o'clock in the morning, cheering as she finally slid the stone of destiny down. And yes, we're going to turn to curling if uh, these two, Jen Dodds and Bruce Muat get a decent run in the uh, in the mixed doubles. Okay, so we've got a chance of a medal in the men's slalom and in the mixed doubles curling. What else? We should also definitely mention um, the amazing woman who's about to compete for Britain in the Winter Olympics, having already competed in the Summer Games yeah, as well. Montel Douglas, isn't she, isn't she phenomenal? And not only that, in the same city that she's, she competed at the Beijing Olympics of 2008 uh, as a sprinter, and now she is going to be break woman in the uh, British bobsleigh team in the uh, Winter Olympics. It would be great. I mean, what the uh, break person has to do in a bobsleigh is basically have a berserker charge of about 15 to 20 yards. So you do this bayonet chart and then you get in and then you make yourself stride stop existing. You become just a counterweight to stop the sledge spinning. That's what she will be doing. Really popular with the viewing public, of course, are all the skating uh, competitions. And there are quite a few. There are quite a few different disciplines here, aren't there? Well, in figure skating, you've uh, got four of them. And I think the ones to look forward to here, the men's competition, the men's singles, that is going to be Fingers crossed, an absolute belter. You've got the American uh, skater Nathan Chen and the double Olympic champion Yuzuru Hanyu. And they 
are both exponents of, of the quad jump. They go around four times. That's a lot of times to go around. It's a kind of strange hybrid between sport and art because you want to do, you want it to be beautiful. You want it to be purposely fully beautiful. But the jumps, unlike a ballet dancer, uh, a skater can't control the jumps because you need to land, find an edge, and you're not going to do it a hundred times out of a hundred. The uh, Great skaters, the gold medal winning skaters, are those that land the big jumps on the big occasions. When you jump for your life, they hit the edge and they do it. And also they look fabulous in between. And that is what uh, uh, Hanyu has done time and time and again. I just like to see uh, Hanyu win that with a quadruple axle, four and a half, land on the clean edge, bang, win like a champion. Well, that sounds amazing. I'm looking forward to that already. And I'm going to say, maybe it's a generalisation, but I think for younger viewers, it's all about sports like snowboarding, um, which I watch with my, frankly, with my heart in my mouth. I, I simply don't, I, I'm, in the, I'm in terror just watching people do it, to be honest. It's extraordinary how high they get and how uh, how they seem to land. Up. Even when they crash, they, 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 they tend to slide away from it. So many sports, I've got a theory that all the non-confrontational sports are basically about trying to fly. In these uh, events with the aerial elements to them, when you're sliding, is is very close to flight. You escape from friction, then you escape from gravity in the jumps and do these extraordinary twists and rotations. And trying to tell the winner from all that is very, very hard. What do you think the atmosphere is going to be like at these Winter Games, bearing in mind that there are all sorts of slightly depressing stories doing the rounds, that the Russians might wait until the games are over before they invade Ukraine? Um, obviously, everything in China is incredibly tightly controlled. Coronavirus hasn't gone away. What do you think about all that? These are spooky times. It's very hard to say. I mean, when I was covering the Beijing Summer Olympics in uh, 2008, there was a wonderful air of optimism going around. Through friends I had uh, living in Beijing, I met and talked to a lot of local people. And the kind of the secularization, as it were, the westernization seemed to be an unstoppable process. People were living free lives, doing the kind of lives that living the kind of lives they, they wanted to live. Their only fear was that the uh, the horrible old men in charge wouldn't uh, louse up the economy. But things have changed now. Things have got much more strict and much more uh, authoritarian, I think, much more fearful. And uh, with the question of Peng Shui, the Chinese tennis player who accused a Chinese high up of sexual molestation and has scarcely been heard of since, this is a, this has become a public moment. I hope that we are going to able to rejoice in the good sport uh, as an international event, not as a parochial event for either Britain or for China, but as an international center of human people seeking excellence in this strange biodiverse way that you get at the Olympic Games, and still at the same time keeping touch on matters that are important to us. And for the armchair viewer, Simon, um, I guess we had, well, we know the BBC is covering it and, and Eurosport always do the Winter Olympics as well, don't they? Absolutely. And there is a, a special benefit in that. Their coverage is far less uh, 
Brit-centric than the BBC's will be. That is the Radio Times sports editor Simon Barnes. I hope he's just whetted a few appetites there ahead of the Winter Olympics. Are you excited by that, Rihanna, then? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I feel like you have really bigged this up for me. (laughs) I wouldn't have been genuinely before, but because you're so excited about it, I'm excited. Well, that's lovely. I've brought you with me. You have. Fantastic. The Winter Olympics edition of the Radio Times is out today, of course. It's a very striking cover this week, isn't it? I really like it. It even makes me want to partake in the bobsleigh. Yeah, it's the bobsleigh (laughs) team about to launch into action. I just find the choreography of that where the driver gets in and the others all bounce in the back and it's all about timing. It's so cool, but my only reference point is Cool Runnings. That is literally the only (laughs) thing of bobsleighing that I know. And that is at least 20 years old. Just in case... You haven't seen it, or anyone listening hasn't seen it. What is that about? Well, it's about the Jamaican uh, bobsleigh team, who are, as you'd imagine, underdogs in this winter <laughs> Olympic sport, um, who who do go to the Olympics and compete. And the good news is, Jamaica are competing oh my goodness. in the bobsleigh at the Beijing Olympic Games. We're all going to be secretly rooting for them. I think we probably are. So lots of coverage to sink our teeth into over the next week or so across the BBC and a bit on Euro, a lot, I should say, on Eurosport. Okay, um, Correspondence Corner, thanks very much for contacting us. We appreciate it. It is podcast at radiotimes.com. Have you got Sheila's email there? Nope. I have. Uh, (laughs) Sheila says, thank you for your lovely podcast. It's become a highlight of my week. Oh, thank you, Sheila. I really like being pointed to programmes I wouldn't automatically watch, such as Four Lives, and I really enjoyed the friendly conversational tone. Sheila, thank you very much. And it's great that we're able just to keep you company um, over, the, over the course of the winter weeks. It can be a bit boring this time of year. Yeah, and it? I love people think that we sound friendly towards each other when really we hate each other. We, no, we don't. <laughs> we don't. Absolutely not. Don't <laughs> ruin people's illusions. Sheila's shattered now. Uh, podcast at radiotimes.com if you want to take part. Oh, and in the quiz this week... I get to ask Rihanna the question, so I'm very excited about that. We're not there yet, Jane. No, but nearly. What's next? We are talking about The Curse, which is going to be on every Sunday from the 6th of Feb at 10pm on Channel 4. But again, you can download the whole box set from midnight. And this is from the creators behind People Just Do Nothing, which was was on the BBC. So that was a mockumentary about a pirate radio station called Corrupt FM. Um, And this one, The Curse, is a comedy about a robbery where a handful of rubbish, small-time crooks hit the jackpot but possibly get cursed by doing so. Here's a clip. I'm here because I've got a proposition for you. Oh, yeah? Got myself a new job down in Newham. This little warehouse. I say little. It's big. Places like an Aladdin's cave. Cash, shipments, going in and out, up to 50 grand. I'm in, I'm all over it. Hold on, slow down, mate. He's just explaining about his new job. Yeah, let him finish, mate. Go on. Well, the security there, it's just me and a couple of wheezy old-timers. Pretty much just let you in the back door. What? How did we get here? You talk about a robbery? It's not a robbery as such. I'll just uh, open the door and turn my back. That's still a robbery. OK, the crucial thing about a comedy, Rihanna, <laughs> is that it has to make you do what you just did then and laugh. <laughs> Oh, God. Did the curse make you laugh? Not once. 
That's interesting. So the big, big star in this, I guess, is Tom Davis, who I last saw in that I thought rather odd comedy on BBC One, King Gary. Yes, and Murder and Successful, he's also oh, yeah. known for. Um, Michael Smiley is going to pop up later in the series. If Again, if you watch people just do nothing, you'll recognise a lot of the cast members as well. Uh, are we being harsh? Well, I mean, neither of us found it funny. Um, with me, I'm just, I'm sick of... <laughs> it's programmes about small-time crooks planning a haphazard criminal operation that goes a bit belly up. Mm -hmm. I just feel as though I've seen this a million times. Yeah, and we I think we've even talked about one, Brassic, we reviewed. Yeah, there was another one. Yes, which, um, which was slightly different, I think. I think that had a lot more heart and it was less sort of, I think supposed to be less quirky even than this. But I think if you've watched any 90s crime caper like Snatch or Lockstock, then this will all feel really familiar to you. These guys are clearly aping those sorts of films in a in a parodying kind of way. But those films themselves were parodies about the even older crime capers yeah. with like Michael Caine or whatever. Well, I mean, there's hints of the Sweeney and stuff yes. in this. And, it's, and the trouble is, when it's been filtered down then, so many parodies later, that, yeah, the comedy has just been filtered out, which is a real Certainly shame. Certainly for me, I have to say. Also, I'm a bit, I'm just a bit baffled by Tom Davis's character. His really odd voice. Yeah, which you heard in that clip. Yeah. What? What are we supposed to think about him? I don't, uh, he does always feel like he's playing people who have got possibly special needs. And are we supposed to laugh at this? Are we supposed to find it funny? I do realise that we are sounding like a couple of moany old people who aren't getting, who don't understand well, the comedy. But I just don't feel like this is aimed at me. But I'm also not really sure who it is aimed at. I think as well, we should point out that uh, we have said that a couple of the other shows we've talked about recently are very female dominated. Mm -hmm. And this is not. This is male skewed, male dominated. There's uh, one telly, female yes. uh, character who is also the narrator. Yeah. So we, although we don't necessarily see as much of her, we hear her. And she. it sounds like she is actually the mastermind behind Quite all of possibly. this. She's the only one with any brains. That but even it. that is a real cliche, isn't yes. it? The men are all dorks and the woman really knows what's going on. Yes, and also like the thugs that are in this, I, everything feels like a real stereotype, absolutely. And, you know, there is comedy often to be found in that. But also the fact that this is set in the 80s so is just an excuse for them to have mullets and brown clothing and... <laughs> And, you know, the setting is quite fun and gross and you can... It Don't does, not it's be evocative. I, I was there. Anyway. Okay. It's definitely evocative, but I just don't... This is not a world that I want to spend any more time in, which is a shame because, you know, Channel 4 comedy is normally something that I'd be all over. Yeah. Um, I think we're both just anticipating the return of Dairy Girls, aren't we? Oh, really? my goodness, I can't wait! No, I, I honestly, I'm so excited about that. <laughs> uh, and I, you'd have to pay me. Well, they are paying me, but I, um, I, you'd have to pay me to watch more of The Curse, I'm afraid. It's just not going to happen. I'm not going to go there, but I'm sure some people might. And if you... I have seen The Curse by the time you hear this and you're desperate to tell us we're completely wrong, you can. Podcast at radiotimes.com. Our final review of the week is something that I suspect will be much anticipated by many people who have read the best-selling book, This Is Going To Hurt, by Adam Kay. This is the TV adaptation. It starts on BBC One, Tuesday the 8th of February at 9 o'clock, and will be available as a box set. Guess what? <laughs> After the first episode has gone out. Uh, so a lot of people will have read the book, I guess, won't they, Rihanna? Yes, I actually listened to the audio version voiced by Adam Kay. And yeah, I think everybody has heard about this or is talking about it in 
some capacity um, because it gives such a brilliant insight into the NHS, which is something, you know, I think a lot of people feel incredibly strongly about. And it's also very witty. It's supposed to make you laugh, but it's also supposed to make you think and reflect about this incredible thing that we have in our lives that we take for granted. Yes, Adam Kay plays, he's a he's a young, youngish and relatively junior obs and gynae doctor in a London hospital, isn't he? Here's yes. a clip. Get her up on the bed. The over position, replace the cord, get her around to the theatre. I'm going to change into some gloves. You consent her. I'll consent her for... A deep tissue massage? It's a cord prolapse. Caesarean. Oh, when you say the elbow position... <laughs> My mistake, sorry. Your outfit looks a lot like what the doctor's wear. I'll do this, you push the bed. Get up That's it. Less Alton Towers. I'm so sorry. Maybe. Why don't I drive? You go and find the anaesthetist. It's the doctor that makes you go sleep sleep. Who have we got playing Adam Kay here? You Well, you will recognise probably the voice of Paddington, Ben yes. Whishaw, yeah. <laughs> in a, a very sarcastic role. Adam Kay is he, incredibly sarcastic. He is so sarcastic. And he, of course, calls Obs and Gynae. Brats and twats. Yes, he, which we think we're allowed to say in this a podcast. Well, it's certainly something that's said on this show on BBC One at nine o'clock in the evening. <laughs> if you've seen Call the Midwife, I guess you might think you're prepared for a TV drama series essentially about childbirth and about its many forms and various complications. Mm -hmm. But this has a whole different tone, doesn't it? I suppose because there is so much more in terms of intervention in this, because we have technology has moved on so much since um, the setting of Call the Midwife. So we do have doctors shoving all sorts of things up in places and pulling babies out and we see all of that it's incredibly graphic um I, I i find it i find that really fascinating it's like they have the actors on a bed that's at an angle so you have the top of their bodies on show yeah. and then the bottom is sort of prosthetics which they then can cut into um, is that how they do it though? yes such a difficult business i this, mean it's isn't it? absolutely fascinating it's such a sort of unta- i would love to see them making of yes. for this one in particular um i think ben wishaw does a really good job of being quite unlikable in this because I know he's a he's sort of a national treasure in the fact that he is Paddington but don't forget he was in the Jeremy Thorpe I very he, English scandal yeah, he's a brilliant brilliant actor he is perhaps more versatile than a lot of people give him credit for he's and in the James Bond films as well yes, isn't he yes yeah. he plays Q he isn't we should make clear in this He's not a very nice man, really. Yes, Adam Kay is writing about himself and he was involved in adapting it. So he's an exec producer on this. He's also a writer on this. And he has made himself even more unlikable than he did in the book, which I think is for dramatic tension, I assume. When is this set, actually? This is early noughties, so the technology isn't as advanced as it is now. It was all about pages back then and not about phones so much. And, and you couldn't just kind of Google something really quickly on your phone, which yeah. I think is quite important. But the music as well is all of that era, which I loved. It's kind of like um, the Libertines. And it was all it was my kind of era of indie music, which I thought was absolutely brilliant and we don't hear enough of, I think, in TV currently. I hope... Many people who've read the book will watch this and have an idea of what they're going to get. Yes. I think if you stumble into the world of this is going to hurt, you might be slightly horrified. Yes, it's all about those anecdotes, isn't it? That you might say, I've just been reading this book and there's this anecdote about how a man lost 
Yeah, a we bit of his that, private yeah, part. We all know about the stories. Yes, and so and so the, the fact that this is kind of like a series of it's kind of putting those anecdotes into something that has a narrative running through it. And I, what's really important is that they have um, a young female doctor in training um, called Shuti, yeah. who is kind of we kind of get exasperated with her, but feel incredibly sorry for her at the same time. And she's our way in. And I know a little bit about the NHS with various other parts mm. of my life, and it is hierarchical. Mm-hmm. And so that that rang very, very true to me. And sometimes people can be really unpleasant to each other in highly pressurised yeah. and difficult situations, and there are many, many of those. I just think the whole world of Obs and Gynae is an extraordinary one. Mm-hmm. It's a very de- Apart from anything else, of course, the women on the whole, obviously some complications inevitably, they're not ill. No. So they're being treated... For something, well, they're not being treated for anything. They're being helped through mm-hmm. a natural process that can sometimes go very wrong. Mm-hmm. And I just think, so I think it's a kind of philosophical, it's a strange world, this. It is, and it's very male-dominated. Weirdly, at the top, it has always been yes. male-dominated, which is why I think a lot of people love the world of Call the Midwife, when things were run along more traditional lines with women mm. very much at the centre of helping other women to yes. give birth. I mean, there's a long-running feminist debate about the over-medicalisation of childbirth and all the rest of it. And I, it's, it's not a world I really understand enough about. But I really will be interested to see what people make about make of This Is Going To Hurt. I'll watch all of it, I know. Yes, I, I found it really entertaining. Uh, you see, there were elements of the book, the Adam Kay book, that I actually didn't like, and I wondered really whether he liked women all that much. Mm-hmm. There were times when I would read descriptions of some of the hideous things that can happen and I would just think, oh no, I don't, actually I don't like the tone of that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that, that's maybe a very personal thing. And a, a, another, an actor who crops up here playing the part he always seems to play is a guy called Alex Jennings. Yes. He plays basically Adam Kay's boss. The consultant. The yeah. consultant who in fact saves his skin, doesn't mm-hmm. he? Yeah. In the first episode. Because Adam does learn in this. He becomes slightly more more humble because he gets things wrong. Yeah, I think it's really important that he does very early on so that we know how high the stakes are for him because otherwise this is a sort of... It is comedy and you're kind of stringing together all these really funny, if, you know, gross-out body horror kind of moments. Yeah. But yeah, I do think you need reminding of just what is at stake which is which are lives the lives of babies the lives of mothers um and also i think there's a really good storyline in there about domestic abuse as well um so i yeah i i found this so interesting so funny weirdly a world that i was quite happy to inhabit even though it's terrifying well i've had my kids so i'm all right really (laughs) I haven't, and it's terrifying. Well, no, you see, I think I wonder about that, actually. I wondered, I've just interviewed Heidi Thomas for the Radio Times about Call the Midwife, because they have a very... I know, they have a couple of very interesting episodes towards the end of Mm -hmm. it, well, at the end of this current series of Call the Midwife, which I think people will um, definitely immerse themselves in. She said, careful not to have any spoilers. And I suppose I'd just seen This Is Going To Hurt just before I right. talked to her. And I, okay. found, I found the contrast really quite interesting. Um, very different approaches to drama, both very effective mm-hmm. in their own way. So This Is Going to Hurt starts on BBC One at nine o'clock on Tuesday the 8th of February and then almost inevitably you can um, devour the whole box set. I think you might need quite a strong stomach to do the whole box set in one single sitting. Mm-hmm. Not sure I could cope with that. And there are eight episodes of This Is Going to Hurt. <laughs> 
Okay, here's the quiz of the week. What we watched, Rihanna's on the spot. And before the quiz, we have the trumpets. Signalling my soon-to-be humiliating <laughs> you said loss. At your first clue, this year's comic relief features a short sketch called Prime Cracker, a kind of Frankenstein hybrid child of prime suspect and cracker, merging Helen Mirren and Robbie Coltrane as their respective characters. Freelance psychologist specialising in criminal profiles. He's a perfect partner for you. (laughs) You must be joking. I know these psycho frauds. You know as much about human behaviour as a man who writes neighbours. Luigi. Um, I think I'll have a... Tomato salad. At your age, weight's a prime concern. Although you will give in to the stodge later. Fettuccine with calamari, I'd say. Very big in the 70s when you were, of course, in your prime. As for the wine, well, normally you wouldn't, but what the hell? Hair of the dog, it's a bugger of a case. Luigi? Glass of Chablis for the lady. Hmm. Maybe they just did comedy differently then. Um, but that was a, a comic relief sketch from the Gosh. year in question. Well, I hope it raised a lot of money. Yeah, indeed. Uh, channel 5 launched in this year. Uh, the first faces shown on the channel... Oh, Spice Girls. Yes, who yes. perform 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. A rewritten version of the Manfred Mann song. Here we go. Welcome to a brand new station. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Tune in now for a new generation. Yes. Hello, Channel 5. Exciting times. In the same year, you don't have a clue, do you? I think I I do, but I'm terrified of getting it wrong because you'll just laugh at me. Well, it was the year of the pilot of Cold Feet. It went on to return for a full series the following year because it went down so well and it ran for five years at that particular time. Then, of course, it came back again. Mm. In this scene, Rachel, played by the soon-to-be friend Helen Baxendale, crashes into the back of Adam's car. Jimmy Nesbitt, of course, who's still on telly as Jimmy Nesbitt. Now, warning. <laughs> I love Jimmy Nesbitt. I like him too. Um, there are. I hope people aren't going to be offended, but these are jokes that were funny in the late 20th century. Funny, well, exactly. Funny-ish. What the hell were you doing? Me? It's you who reversed without looking. Yeah, at about five miles an hour. You didn't have to ram me. Excuse me, but whose car is touching whose? Oh, terrific. A woman driver with a woman's logic. And a man with... For brains. Tell me, were you starved of oxygen at birth? And who was your driving instructor, Stevie Wonder? At least I had one. Oh, how that man must have suffered. It was a woman, actually. I used to watch Cold Feet and I was far too young, I think, but my mum loved it and so I, you know, used to stay up late watching this. And I used to, I fell in love with, of all people, Sean Pertwee, who I think has an affair with Hermione Norris's character. It's amazing what your brain does when you're a child and what you sort of latch on to. But I remember thinking he was weirdly sexy. He's not. Well, I, mean, it's, it's, I think when you're a young person, you are a bit straight. I fell for my mum's driving instructor in the 1970s oh, and I can wow. still remember his name. Was he Stevie Wonder, he as had, in the clip? 
He had a leather jacket and a big 70s tash. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like Tom Selleck. His name was Dave. I can still remember his surname, but it's not fair on the man. I won't mention it. Um, <laughs> if was <it>, dreamy. <laughs> he was. If it helps, and you should know this. I think I know. Clever woman like yourself. Oh, God. It was the year of the Labour election victory, the first one, under Tony Blair. Well, that was... <laughs> 97 yes <laughs> narrowly avoiding oh. humiliation by the skin of her teeth uh, do you know what I was going to say 98 until oh. you said that but that's that when you said about cold feet being commissioned for a series I guess that was 98 and the pilot was the year before as you said so yes 97 brilliantly deduced. Gosh, I am well basically Sherlock Holmes. You are a TV detective, all of your own. I'm Helen Mirren in Prime Suspect. Mm. Okay, well not <laughs> if that makes me Robbie Coltrane, you're not. Uh, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you very much for listening. We'll have a load more goodies next week. We're going to have a high-powered meeting now to decide what to talk about next week. I enjoy that part of my working week. I actually. do, actually. We just It's just an excuse for us to chat again. Please don't give the impression we enjoy working. That would be wrong. If you want a breakdown of the listings of the programmes we've talked about today, then make sure you look at the episode notes wherever you get this podcast. Do follow and join us every week. The Radio Times podcast is produced by... Something else. For our old mates at... Immediate Media. Take care. Have a good week. That was my first take.